A reading from the book of Acts. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. The word of the Lord. So it's my joy to share today that we have a special guest who's going to take our pulpit. Her name is Shelly Miller. Shelly has been with us once before, but I know Shelly from many years of partnering in mission together. Uh, Shelly's husband, H, and I, H is in the letter H, uh, worked in a church planning organization for a number of years, and that's how we first got to know one another. And for those who have been a part of our church over the last uh, couple of years, you've seen me go to London and preach in a church with over, I think, 60 nations represented called St. Barnabas Kensington. And that's the church uh, Shelley and H serve at and are based at. Um, and so Shelley also is the founder of a group called the Sabbath Society. And she's also an author, an author of a book called Rhythms of Rest. So she's someone that I lean to, and even our staff leans to, to find rest and space to connect with God at a deeper level. And so would you join me in welcoming Shelly Miller back to the Dana Island Fellowship. It's great to be with you this morning. It's lovely to be um, back in Daniel Island Fellowship because my husband and I have kind of seen the evolution of Paul starting, you were in a little church, borrowed church um, to begin with, and just, I keep seeing on Instagram how the church is growing. It's really exciting to be a part of it. So yeah, so my husband and I moved to London about two and a half years ago on what we call a Macedonian call, which means basically we knew we were in love with the British people, had a deep desire to live there, but we had no idea how to land and make that work. And so we um, began just sort of in my husband's work and his connections with um, the Church of England began to just say, hey, we feel called to London got any job openings <laughs> and um, he basically left his his job without knowing exactly what it was we were supposed to be doing and just to let you know I was on board with that decision um, we've done it before but um, it was the first time that we had ever actually been led to go somewhere without knowing how we were going to get there and leaving a job before having all those things that we normally have in place like a paycheck and a place to live and so um, we've been there about two and a half years my husband um, uh, now they had to prove that he was the only person in the EU the entire EU to do what he's doing so he's leading church planting efforts 
in the UK for the Church of England. So we're, they're planning churches throughout the UK. And um, we're also, we just helped this uh, church, St. Barnabas Kensington, go through an interregnum, what they call interregnum, what we call interim process to find a vicar. So we love, love, love serving in London. And um, we used to live on Polly's Island right down the road. My daughter is here with me. So glad to have her with me traveling. So I've been gone from London for about a month. <laughs> And um, my husband's really anxious for me to come back. So I'll be doing that on Tuesday. But I'm going to start here this morning um, from that passage that we read in Acts. I think of the connection that was made between um, Peter and John at the gate with that blind man. And connection is what really gives us purpose and meaning in life, doesn't it? We're all called to be connected. And really, in this world we live in, we're more connected than we've ever been. I mean, we can be connected in an instant on our phones, right? No matter where we are. I mean, I've been um, on WhatsApp with my husband. We were driving you know, through South Carolina, and I'm talking to him about, about stuff on WhatsApp. And the paradox, though, of sharing every thought, rant, and emotion as, they, as we are living it out, um, you would think we would have this deep sense of belonging and being known, wouldn't you? But actually, the opposite has happened. The more we're connected, the more deeply lonely we become because all that connection is really replacing connection with God. And so, um, well, I'll just give you an example of that. I was, a few months ago, I was um, Skyping with a girlfriend. And we do this periodically. I'm sort of a mentor to her. And she had uh, an issue that she wanted to sort of talk through with me, pray through with her about. And about five minutes into the conversation, all of a sudden, unbeknownst to her, I could see in the reflection of her glasses that although it looked like she was looking at me and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh, I could see four tabs open on her screen in her glasses. And actually, she was multitasking while she was talking to me. She was supposed to be listening to what I was saying. And sort of midway through the conversation, she said something that I've probably said myself many times, and maybe you can relate to it. She all of a sudden said, you know, I need to be listening in prayer more. And I thought to myself, you know, um, I wasn't offended by the fact that she wasn't fully listening to me. It was more of, um, well, a wake-up call for myself because I could see myself reflected in her behavior because I could hear the ting of the notifications of Facebook and that that really noisy Voxer alert that we get when her phone was laying either in her lap or are next to the computer, and I thought, you know, how many times have I done this to the people that I love? I'm half listening when I have a phone open in my hand, just in the same way um, that my friend was doing to me, but also in the same way that we see here in this um, scripture, in this passage in the Gospel and Acts, um, where the blind man is sitting at the beautiful gate and sort of half listening as well. And so this morning, um, I wanted to talk to us about um, hearing God and what that means for us. I wrote a book um, 
called Rhythms of Rest, as Paul mentioned, finding the Sabbath, finding the spirit of Sabbath in a busy world. Because we are all really distracted, aren't we? We're all so busy with too many things on our plate. But what I've discovered is um, Sabbath is really a way for us to hear God in a really intimate way, in a different way than we normally do. And so um, I think this, we're all in the waiting room of life. All of you here, sitting here, are waiting for something. You might be waiting for grades to come back. You might be waiting you know, for acceptance on a team. You might be waiting for a job uh, to come through. Um, you might be waiting for a paycheck to come. We're all waiting for something. And what I've noticed, at least in my own life, is that waiting period is filled with uncertainty, right? We don't know how things are going to pan out. But what we tend to do is fill that white space, that void of uncertainty, by doing more and listening less. And sometimes it looks like numbing, you know, on Facebook, scrolling um, instead of listening. Or sometimes it's, um, you know, we lose ourselves on Netflix or in the pages of a great book. Um, we do things to sort of create comfort where there is uncertainty. And one of the sacred echoes that I hear when people um, ask me about Sabbath and the Sabbath Society and rest, um, they say, I know I need to rest, but I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make rest reali realistic in my life. Well, I talked to you about that a year ago in October about Sabbath. But um, over the summer, I did an online book club with a group called Grace Table online. If you don't know about that uh, website, I highly recommend it, all about hospitality. And there were about 500 people that um, joined me for a book club on Rhythms of Rest. And during that book club, I discovered something that really surprised me. People over and over again said, I don't know how to hear God. And so I began to think about that. And you know what? We don't just hear God automatically. It comes with intentionality. And I've discovered there are four postures um, that if we practice them with intentionality, we begin to discern the voice of God ourselves. Because God speaks to us in the way each of us are uniquely made. So the way you hear God's voice is going to be different from the way I hear it. But there is a sort of posture that we can all maintain that um, allows his voice to be to resonate and to become clear. So I'm going to use um, a little acronym this morning. Acronym, that's not the word. What is that word? <laughs> it's like all of a sudden it was like, is that the right word? An acronym, um, and each of those, uh, from the word here, and each of those letters are going to stand for a different posture to help you remember. So the first one is heart listening. So what do I mean by heart listening? Well, I think of it this way. Have you ever been drawn to verses of scripture when you're reading your Bible and they just sort of stand out to you? The words, maybe the flow of the words or something about the meaning of the words, you're not really sure what it is. All you know that when you pass over those words, your heart stands up a little bit. Or maybe it's not even in the Bible, but it's words on signs or magazines, or books you read. There's sort of a sacred echo. Every time that word sort of presents itself, there's something about those words or phrases that have meaning to you. Maybe you don't even know, discern, you're not discerning what it is, but it's curious. 
Or maybe, um, well, have you ever cried during a movie, during a scene of a movie? Maybe you're the only one in the room crying, and you're thinking, why am I crying? Or maybe um, you have a song in your earbuds, on through earbuds, and you're thinking, you know, all of a sudden you have a tear falling uh, from a line of a song, and it just makes your heart sort of leap in a different way. Uh, or maybe suddenly you become emotional watching someone just use their God-given gifts. All those things seem random and inconsequential, and sometimes we push them off um, when we're busy. But I believe all those seemingly random connections are a spark of God communicating with us. It's this sort of um, sentinel saying, this is what makes your soul come alive. This is how I've created you. Pay attention. But when we're busy, we often miss those connections um, because our discernment meters are off. We're kind of half listening, like my friend was doing with me on Skype, and actually the blind man was in the same way. So, but if we're listening to the heart, we often hear desire speaking, and busyness is, pushes desire away. So I'm going to read, um, I want to read this little excerpt from my book um, because this is a little interaction that I had with my son when he was about 16 years old and I, when I heard desire come out of his mouth. Seated across from Harrison, just the two of us at dinner, a lone candle flickers in the middle of the table. After cutting a roll and filling it with barbecued pork, he builds a story between bites, revealing dreams I hadn't heard him speak before. As we debrief about the day's events and homework, he explains a longing to board a ship and sail to Europe so he can attend school in the UK and live in a small flat, a new home overlooking the city where he can watch people bustling about. I don't want to live with regrets, he says with a half smile, eyes squinting behind his hipster glasses. In essence, what my son is expressing is that he doesn't want to live chasing someone else's dream for his life. H and I hadn't mentioned our dream to live in London yet. This new awareness becomes a holy moment over dinner at 6.30 on a Wednesday night. Nodding my head, I assure Harrison that his dad and I want him to live with abandon. My son didn't have any idea that my husband and I had swollen hearts for London, that we had longed to move there, and yet on this random Wednesday evening, eating dinner together, hear all this um, dream about living in Europe was coming out. It was as if God was both affirming our call to London, but also confirming that Harrison was also gonna have call and purpose there as well. It was desire coming out. And in the same way I was making eye contact with my son, God wants us to make eye contact with him. And I think about this also from that passage we just read. Um, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout. Peter, um, Peter with John at his side, looked him straight in the eye and said, look here. He looked up expecting to get something from them. When we look up, 
instead of into our circumstances, miracles happen. You know, walking around London, I see a lot of homeless people um, sitting on mats or cardboard or old icky sleeping bags, and they often place themselves in the busiest places in the city, usually where there's a lot of foot traffic um, coming out of tubes and at bus stations. And you know, there's probably thousands and thousands of people that walk by those homeless, um, needy people, and often there is no eye contact made. And I think, um, you know, when we make eye contact, it gives a person dignity, right? But I, said, I think often that we are so out of touch with our own needs that looking need in the eye is too scary for us. It reveals our own need and the, the vacuum of um, not being in touch with them. I think our knee-jerk reaction to um, seasons of uncertainty is to fix and problem-solve and mend and do anything, you know, to make that uncertainty go away and be more comfortable. But God actually wants us to do the opposite, which feels so uncomfortable to our American nature, doesn't it? We're such can-do people. If we've got a problem, we're going to fix it. We're going to solve it. We're going to make it happen. And he wants us to just sit with him and make eye contact and listen. He's listening to us. And um, he wants us to make contact with him as the problem solver, as the mender of our hearts, as the one who heals the brokenhearted. You know, um, it would be nine months before we would actually realize our dream to get to London. We went through a terribly um, long, lengthy bureaucratic process. About three months in, we uh, no longer had a paycheck. Yay, that was fun. And um, my, my son missed his whole junior year of high school. He watched all of his friends um, get their driver's permits and uh, learn how to drive and go to school while he sat at home with us and remained positive. Um, I wondered at times if we were ruining his life. Um, but we remained attentive to the details, attentive to the way that God meets us in the midst of the unknowns. And, um, you know, God doesn't always give us a lot of details, darn it. He just doesn't. But he gives us what we need to know. And I think about this passage that we just read. We don't know uh, what was going on with that blind man at the gate called Beautiful. All we know, I mean, for all we, well, all we know is that he had an encounter with um, Peter and Mark. But we don't know if it was a hot, boiling hot day and he was sweating there. We don't know if it was raining and he was wet. We don't know if he was sitting on a dusty patch of earth or if he was propped up on a rock or sitting in a comfortable chair. All we know was what we needed to know, and that was that he had an encounter that changed his life. He was expecting a handout, and instead he got, look up, look here, look into my eyes instead. You know, I think about the other blind man, Bartimaeus, in the Gospel of Mark, and how God met him as well. And it's, instead of going, <clears throat> instead of Bartimaeus going 
to Jesus. Jesus asked him to come to him, asked a blind man to come to him. And it says um, that he asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Well, isn't it obvious? I mean, a blind man went sight, right? I think um, Jesus asked that obvious question because he wants us to be specific in our prayers. I think sometimes we're um, generalists when it comes to faith and trust in Jesus. And God wants us to be specific. He wants us to tell him what we want, what our heart longs for, where we're hurting and in pain. And, you know, um, that question, what can I do for you, uh, was sort of posed to me as a mom of a son that was getting ready to embark on British culture. And we arrived there, and there were no places for boys in any of the schools in London. And we began to network and kind of panic. Um, there are long waiting lists for boys at all the best schools. And I thought, Lord, surely you didn't bring us here for him to miss out. And um, I got sick shortly after we got to London. Here we were all excited to be there. And I was laying in bed with the flu um, in a borrowed house with no furniture and delayed maintenance, cracks in the walls. I could hear the guy next door coughing up a storm. And I thought, Lord, why? Why? We waited all that time, and here I am in bed, and my son doesn't have a school to go to. And all of a sudden, um, this school came to our attention through um, someone that came to our church. Named, it was called Chelsea Academy. And I called, uh, got myself out of bed, got the courage to call and ask if there was a place for my son. And she said, you know, it's really strange that you called today. Because about an hour ago, I just had a boy in his year come to, come to me and let me know that he's not coming back at Easter. And she said, you know, because your husband is a vicar in the Church of England, this is a Church of England school, he'll go right to the top of the list. And there were about 200 kids on a waiting list. So she said, yeah, he can come after Easter. So, um, you know, Timing is in God's hands, isn't it? And we're, if we're attentive to the details, sometimes we get mad because things aren't going the way that we think that they should. But God's timing is always perfect. And the more we paid attention to the details of the timing when we landed, the more we could see God's favor, especially when it comes to my son. R is for receptive being receptive to the truth, because sometimes what we hear is not really what we want to hear, is it? I mean, I didn't want to hear that we were going to be without income. I didn't want to hear that it was going to take nine months to get uh, to London. There were a lot of things that were hard to hear. It says, Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand, pulled him up, in an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and walked. You know, I think one of the greatest fears we have in life is that God will not meet us in the way we desperately need him to. Because people didn't disappoint us, don't they? They don't come through in the way that we often long for them to, and we can transfer 
that same experience onto our relationship with God as well. What if I show up again and God doesn't? Or maybe it's more, sounds more like this, God shows up, up for everybody else but me. God hears everybody else's prayers but mine. Shame researcher Brené Brown says, the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they are worthy of love and belonging. If we believe that we are worthy of love and belonging, then we have to believe that each person in this room is able to hear the voice of God for themselves. Because you're loved and you're worthy of hearing his voice. What makes us vulnerable also makes us beautiful, as uh, was described in this beautiful story at the beautiful gate. When we finally were released to move to London and my son went to Chelsea Academy, he was up behind about a year in the British school system. But um, he quickly uh, learned all the things that he was behind in, and this year was voted by his peers after two and a half years um, to be head boy of Chelsea Academy, which is a large school. It has um, almost 2,000 kids and very diverse from all over the world. And so um, being head boy is kind of like being student body president, except you make speeches to other schools and groups of people all over London. Last week, he was invited to a black tie event with the Lord Mayor of London. And I just think about all that time, if we would have thrown in the towel and given up and hadn't spent time listening to the Lord and waited to hear his voice, um, if we would have not had this posture of receptivity and been like this instead, how my son would have missed out on a beautiful blessing in his life. If God is looking down at us, are we paying attention? Are we looking up? What is our posture like? Are we listening to our heart? Are we making eye contact with him? Are we attentive to the details in life, or are we just letting them sort of fly by in our busyness? And are we receptive to the truth when the truth isn't really what we want to hear? Because this is what I know. That man at the gate was holding out his hand, expecting what he expected every day, just enough to get by for another day for his daily bread, and God had a miracle instead. And I think, you know, a lot of times in our busyness, we acquiesce. We say, this is just how it has to be. This is how it is. This is the hand I've been dealt. And there will be a day when we're released into God's abundance. So um, I just want to end with four questions for you to think about. Because I know some of us feel like um, you may not feel like God, you know how to hear from God. You may doubt when you think you hear from God. Sometimes we feel like we get something, but we doubt it. We wonder if it's our voice that we're hearing instead of God's. And so these are sort of my lit litmus tests. Does what you hear line up with scripture? That's the first question to ask yourself. Does what you hear provide a sacred echo or confirmation of what has already been going on in your heart? Because often there's a stirring and God um, responds with a sacred echo. Does what I hear offer potential growth because God wants us to be growing and not stagnant or static? He's going to challenge us 
with what we hear? And does what you hear create an opportunity to trust God and deepen your faith? And then this is always the bottom line for me if I struggle with um, what I'm hearing. Could I have conjured up what I heard on my own? So as we begin to seek the Lord and wait on him to hear his voice, just want to ask you um, to really ponder which area are, do you struggle with the most? Do you spend time resting in God's embrace to listen to your heart? Are you able to sort of make eye contact like you do with your kids or your spouse or a good friend? Are you attentive to the details of your life? And are you in this posture of receptivity? Or is it all about um, just self, self, um, well, trusting yourself? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are present with us and that you desire to have conversation with us. I pray that if there's anyone in this room right now that wants to hear from you but hasn't really known what that sounds like, it feels curious but scary. Lord, I pray that even now, you would drop something in someone's mind, a word, a phrase, a picture, something that lets them know that you are with them, that you are listening. Allow us to be attuned to your still small voice. Help us to pay attention to the details of life and to stop being distracted by busyness. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are always waiting to talk. In Jesus' name, amen.